call me optimistic, but I think it's just a much better way. And it's not that someone is either fully independent or fully employed. I, I think throughout their career, they will go in and out of this type of work. Workforce transformation, a future of work where individuals are owners of their own career. Companies buying work outcomes, not employees on the open market. Welcome to State of Independence, the podcast about how independent work has completely transformed the U.S. economy and how you can take advantage of it. I'm your host, Asya Hawk, Vice President of Talent Marketing at MBO Partners. And today we will talk with Gene Zaney, founder of MBO. We will talk about his experiences about being a business of one and how he foresaw the reality of today's working world well before many of us. He's been an advocate for the independent workforce for decades. So, Gene, I mean, I almost feel a little bit emotional, you know, having this conversation with you, given the wonderful history that I've had with watching you bring the independent workforce to the forefront of our national conversation, having the chance to play a part in that journey. And so it feels like a great moment, like a momentous moment that we are at the 10-year anniversary of the State of Independence in America, which is obviously one of the key and leading reports on independent work. How do you feel at this moment? Is this a milestone for you? Where does it fit into your kind of journey? Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely a milestone, Asya. Thanks for asking that question and also for giving me the opportunity to reflect on that. Ten years ago, and it was actually you helping me, we wanted to advocate for what was at that time pretty obvious to me, a changing of the workforce. And we wanted to advocate and raise the awareness that this isn't just about people that can't find a job. This is about people that create their own careers and create the control to do the work they love the way they want. And this research has served as a milestone for now, but back, back then it was an awareness of really the only research that existed on studying this segment of the workforce, which became quite popular over the last decade. During this conversation, we're going to dive into different themes within the research and within just the broader role you play in advocating for independent workers. Before we do that, though, I think every great story has a backstory, and I'd like to take you even further back. How does a boy from Long Island become somebody who is leading one of the leading workforce platforms in the world? How did, that, how did you get from where you were to where you are today? <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't know how many different businesses I had, Asya. You're bringing me way back. I mean, I always did some type of self-employment or back in those days, you know, kind of working for yourself. I mean, I actually had a DJ business back before there were, you know, kind of, uh, I would remember going to venues and bringing speakers and helping people at parties and then getting involved in actually the, the heating business. My first day of college, I quit and I decided I needed to go into business for myself and took out a Yellow Pages. And my father was in the oil heating business in New York and I knew how to kind of fix heating systems. And I went 
And I started dialing for dollars when I was um, 17 or so and built a contracting business in Long Island, which ended up having about 11 contractors. And, um, you know, in, in New York, in the evenings, it gets really cold and they use contractors to help people that don't have heat and need help. And I started a business that way. And then I would get really dirty. It would, you know, it was a dirty business. And I would have an accountant that would come and do my books. Mm -hmm. And he would come in his Corvette and his big antenna with his cell phone at that time was a big brick. And he had clean hands and he would come and write a check for himself. And I said, gee, there's got to be something better than this. And I started going to school at night, went back to school. I did community college. And then I had a professor that said, you should apply to Wharton. And I didn't know what Wharton was. And I then uh, applied and got accepted and I had to sell the business and actually sold it to a cop who paid at that time uh, about $50,000 for the business, which really helped get the tuitions going. And um, after spending time in Philadelphia at the University of Pennsylvania, after I graduated, started my career at KPMG and did small business consulting. And that's really the only place I ever worked. And I did that for about four years. And then I left and started a computer consulting business and had a couple of consulting businesses after that and then realized at the turn of the millennium that there was a, a big rush towards independent contracting because of the y2k and everybody thought their systems were going to blow up and i had sold one of our consulting businesses which was actually financed by kleiner and perkins at that time they were pretty much on the rise and and when i left i started mbo which at that time was called my biz office and created a back office operating system for individuals that want to go out and do consulting and contracting. And that was the, the passion I had because I, I really respected those people. And it was really hard for these individuals that needed to go out and work on their own as a one person business and try to deal with all of the issues of running a business and having an accounting background and a finance background and a consulting background. I built this infrastructure and I kind of knew the internet was going to figure out how to match projects with people, but we would be the clearinghouse. And that was the start of my biz office, which eventually came MBO. And it's been a journey, but it's a rewarding one. And it's been a great, a great ride. That's such an incredible story, Gene. And I've known you for so long, but there's so many parts of that story <laughs> that I didn't know. So it, it gives a whole new level of respect for the things that you've accomplished and how you've moved from opportunity to opportunity. But you definitely, when you began the MBO opportunity, you stayed with it. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was more than two decades ago. And yeah. it continues to grow and it continues to thrive. And to me, the thing that I take away the most is that through that entire journey, you have been the advocate for the independent professional in America, not just through research like State of Independence, but you've also taken that advocacy to new places. And I, I want to kind of point you to the chapter that you wrote in The End <laughs> of Jobs uh, with your friend Jeff Wald. Mm -hmm. And you wrote the chapter in a very human way because you wrote the chapter as a lesson or a message to your granddaughter about what the future would look like in 2050. Yeah. And I would love to hear you talk about some of what you shared with her, and then we'll dive into some other themes. Sure. Well, Jeff, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, asked me to participate in his book, which is a great book, The End of Jobs. And he has a cute little 
twist to it, which he invited, I think, 20 people that he thought could predict what the workforce would look like in 2030, actually 2040, sorry. <laughs> and um, whoever gets it right gets a cash prize. And of course, no one is going to know if they got it right or not, or you know what it actually is. So we had to predict the workforce, what it would look like. And at that time, I got my first granddaughter, Abigail, and I thought I would write the chapter to her. So in general, it has a couple of themes. One theme, it's about what I call the Iron Man suit and not the Jetsons. And it goes back to the cartoons series of the Jetsons, where actually a lot of that future came came true. But it was more about what independent workers are going to need is an Iron Man suit to help them be more protected and, abil- and have the ability to operate as an independent business. And then the chapter goes on to what the future would look like. And it's going to have its twists and turns, which, you know, we didn't know about COVID. Um, I didn't think about that. Uh, But I certainly thought about there'd be issues with as the workforce kind of fractionalizes and becomes more independent, it's going to create stress on our system, on on our safety net systems, on our legal systems, on behavioral systems. And it is, and it will continue to do that for a while with legislative uh, challenges. But I believe that that will all get worked out. And I think it's starting to, you know, there's the regulatory new rules uh, with the AB5 rules in California, which are being debated. Um, I think there's lots of exceptions coming out of that. And I think I think over time, it'll get sorted out that kind of one size does not fit all in terms of labor laws. Some people want the freedom to go do the work they want. Other people do need protection so that they don't get abused. But the end of the chapter, uh, or the end of this little story, is that I believe my prediction for the workforce in 20 years is what I call the maker economy, where through the advent of technology, you know, artificial intelligence, infrastructure that is um, ubiquitous. You know, you might see this even today with, you know, people that are building their own little businesses, whether it's food and they rent out a shared kitchen or, or you know, certainly email and collaboration tools are, are becoming very inexpensive and easy to use and access. So people will be making things and they will be selling that as an individual. And I think they will be able to earn income by having their own intellectual property that becomes valuable to them. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a physical product. It could be, it could be a poem. It could be a music. It could be a book. It could be a piece of software. It could be a podcast. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there's going to be different ways of making money without having to actually have to be paid by the hour. And in addition, of course, people will still do projects and things of that nature. But I think people will be making things, whether they're making things with their own time, whether they're making things that are content or whatever, but there'll they'll be other ways for people to leverage their expertise and the tools that are going to be available to get compensated and, and have diverse income streams. That's so fascinating, Gene. So, yeah. Let, let me know if that's the truth, if that happens, because, you know, Jeff, Jeff owes me some money. I love it. I will be there doing the accounting and we'll have him on the podcast as well. And he can share his perspective on who he thinks is at the head of the race right now. (laughs) Okay. So 
you raise a, just a very thoughtful and very futurist kind of perspective on the individual knowledge worker, because I think a lot of what you're saying is very thought-provoking for me because it even has me revisiting some of my own thoughts about where we are today being such a leap forward, you're going even further. To really say that what is inside someone's head can be provided in the form of services, you know, which is what a lot of independent workers do today. They monetize their time by the hour or by the project. But also, we want to be helping people to do that in other ways and productizing their knowledge. And that is something I've been thinking about, you know, working with high talent independents and helping them to think about their careers. And, you know, we have these conversations inside the MBO Advantage program all the time about how to help somebody who has gained knowledge think about different ways of actually sharing that knowledge with the world, either as a service or as a product. And do you believe that there is enough being done to invest in a future for the knowledge worker where it is sustainable for them? And, and, and has society done enough to invest in this pivot? You've been somebody who has been a champion with the Bureau of Labor Statistics around the evolution of knowledge work and the role of independent work. You've gone on Capitol Hill to speak with legislators. You've testified in committees. You've been at international events as a voice of what needs to change for this workforce. Do you believe that there are gaps today that we need to urgently fix to get us to a world where that picture that you painted is is a rosy picture? You know, it's where yeah. everybody wants to be. Abs absolutely. You know, I think one is a huge amount of education and understanding that this is a significant part of what people want to do. As you know, Asia, through the research, what is it, 80% of the people doing this work want to do it. They want to continue doing it. And they, they won't go back to the traditional way of full-time work. They actually feel healthier. The statistics tell us they're actually able to make more money. So the things that are friction in the system today that need to be dealt with and removed, I think the biggest thing is, we cannot have one way of thinking about work. It's not just an employee or a big business. And there are people that are one person businesses that will throughout their career, sometimes go off and do their own independent work. It's actually a great way to learn new skills. So I think education uh, will be a lifetime event by going off and doing your own gig work to learn new skills. And then you could go back into a, a more traditional job if you want to. I think at different points in your career, uh, you may be more steady full-time as an independent. Other times you may just do it as kind of side gigging. Uh, so there's, there's a spectrum of work arrangements that need to be dealt with that our current regulatory system doesn't recognize and doesn't deal with very well. But I see progress. I, I'm pretty confident that there will be ways of dealing with this where people who want to opt into working independently will be allowed to do that without having their clients be concerned that they're going to be reclassified as their employee. And as you know, we've got a white paper out there for several years now called the Certified Self-Employed. 
And I think it's a matter of getting people educated to understand what does it mean to take on your own responsibility as an independent consultant, independent contractor, uh, self-employed person, and recognize that there are responsibilities to that. You have to deal with your own safety net issues. You can't go to your client and expect entitlements. But by doing that, there will be a tremendous amount of friction removed from the system because today, certainly large companies that are using independent contractors at scale, hundreds or even thousands of them, it's quite complicated and it's very cloudy rules in terms of what is an employee versus an independent contractor. And because it's not clear, there's a lot of risk associated to it. And, you know, there are some bad actors that take advantage of, of people paying them as an independent contractor to avoid benefits and safety net issues. But on the other hand, there's people that really recognize and say, I want to be my own. I love the flexibility. I love the control. I love to do the work I want with who I want to do it. And there needs to be a much more objective way or a certification, which I, I think would work, that if I elect to do this and I understand it, that my client does not have to be worried about me being reclassified as their employee and all the different risks that go along with that, like payroll taxes and benefits and so forth. So that's one thing is all the regulatory issues. The other thing is, which I see happening as well, uh, Asya, <laughs> um, companies are realizing that the world changes quickly. It's very difficult to have a fixed workforce that could be as nimble as companies need to be in a global competitive world. And with technology and environments and markets changing so quickly, there needs to be a portion of your workforce that's very agile. And having a more liquid community of independent experts and workers that you could engage as you need them, kind of just in time. It's a benefit to the competitiveness of organizations and certainly organizations and companies that value innovation because that that is, you know, obviously one of the areas of, of change. And then on a personal level, you know, people certainly, you know, unfortunately COVID has been a real issue, obviously, but it accelerated the future in many ways. And people now realize that, well, I could work from home. I could work remote. I, I could work from anywhere. I mean, as you know, one of the other points of our research Asia, is the digital nomad has grown dramatically where people are finding they could go and work at places that they they could then explore in the evening. They could do work during the day and, and go learn about a new area, experience life differently. So people are realizing that they could have a portfolio of clients that is a diversified income stream where they're not uh, vulnerable to a reorganization or an acquisition or a manager that they don't like or sitting in meetings that they feel aren't appropriate for their direction of their career. So it's happening where individuals are becoming more aware and are seeing their friends and others that they could more easily have a more controlled independent way of working as well as companies are realizing that they could have a more agile and innovative organization if they could tap into a larger group of people that they could use now and then or when they need and adapt and also the people that are doing that work could say focus on what they do best across many different companies and i believe when people are doing the work that they love and the work that they're really good at they create more value for themselves 
and they deliver that value at a better economic for their client. So, you know, call me optimistic, but I think it's just a much better way. And it's not that someone is either fully independent or fully employed. I, I think throughout their career, they will go in and out of this type of work. That's so fascinating. And I think it's so true. I mean, I can see that in my own career. You know, I have been in that revolving door between full-time traditional work, entrepreneurship, contract work, and have seen each of those phases of life really provide me the greater number of assets in terms of knowledge and skills to be able to craft the life I want. And I want to stay on that theme for a little bit because within the state of independence data for 2020, there's a wonderful number. I mean, to me, it's a very exciting number, which is between 2011 and 2020, the number of US-based independent professionals that were skilled and high earning, so let's call them the 100K plus worker, went from 4.5 million all the way up to 7.7 million. Right. And that's a pretty significant shift when you think about the economic output that comes out of independent work broadly, because a smaller number of individuals, by the way, could drive a bigger part of that economic output based on their gross services volume or their billings. We're already at 1.2 trillion for economic output, for independent work overall as of 2020. But you probably have seen better than anyone in your 20 years how somebody becomes one of those 7.7 million. Because in a way, they're living the new American dream. They are working as they want, where they want, how they want, and they're earning a great living. What do you know about them from being somebody who served this mm -hmm. industry for more than two decades? Yeah, so that is an astounding growth rate over the years, and it, you know it it continues. I, I think there's several reasons for it, and I'll answer your question in terms of what I, you know, how I think they get there. But um, it it's also a demographic issue as the baby boomers age out and they leave a traditional job. They're not going to just sit back and work on their retirement funds. They're going to capitalize on their social equity and expertise by doing consulting work. So I think you're seeing an extended career of people that want a lifestyle that they want flexibility, but they're going to continue working for at least another 10, 15 years, um, which gives them wealth uh, accumulation for their later years and not having to use the retirement uh, programs that have been set up during their traditional career. So one, I think it's it's an extension of people's work life. The, the people that I've seen that have been most successful, which is captured in that growth rate that you just talked about from 4 million to 7 million, are people that are probably nine years or so experience. They definitely are doing work that's digital and they've gotten to a point where they have a network of relationships. They have figured out that they have an area of expertise that's marketable. And quite honestly, they take advantage of that and they are able to build their own business. Many of them team together and work with others in their network. They could deliver projects. They, they have a network of people that trust them. So they typically have see, about six or seven clients that they'll work around. And these are clients that they've 
decided that they like to work with. Sometimes they lose one and they pick up another one, but they'll always have a handful or two of relationships that are known to them and their clients obviously trust and know them. And it's now a matter of, you know, availability. So when you have seven or eight uh, clients, you generally have a nice pipeline of opportunities. You're doing it with people that you like to do it with because you are able to pick who they are. If one of them doesn't work out, you're not losing your job. You're just losing one seventh of your income, which you could then go look at replacing. And if you're the client, you have access to people that you don't have to worry about keeping busy all the time. You use them when you need to. And the economics work for, for everyone and the flexibility works for everyone. So it's pretty much people that have experience, they have confidence, and they have a, a network to, to rely upon. And they generally are, you know, like I said, nine years or so into the workforce already. We see some of the new ones coming out sooner too, maybe three or four years, some of them right out of school wanting to go into business. But I do think it's important for someone to have a traditional job early on in their career, you know, to learn really some basic culture on and work ethics. So satisfaction, to me, one of the other most interesting sort of trending statistics of state of independence. In 2011, it was about 58%, still pretty high given how little infrastructure existed for independent work 10 years ago. Today, it's 76%, and that's despite COVID. So I almost suspect it would have gone even higher if it hadn't been for the hit of what has happened in the last few months. So talking about satisfaction and security and speaking to sort of talent themselves to this independent professional, what do you believe are the reasons that people are more satisfied and more secure in this type of work, despite what we know to be big challenges that we still mm -hmm. need to solve? Yes. Uh, it's primarily control and flexibility. You know, the economic side has an impact, but it's mostly about having the control to do the work that they want to do which um, I think, as you know, is the purpose of our business, right? But it's really true. And it's evident in the data that we have is the number one factor is control, flexibility. And then, you know, there's several others that are further down in the chain and they come into, you know, the learning a, a new uh, way of building your career, uh, having a diversified income stream, uh, and obviously, you know, having that flexibility to go out in the middle of the day and, you know, go for a jog or set yourself up in, in a different location. And again, COVID has accelerated the awareness of that being a benefit and absolutely is a structural change that we'll see continue. So it's about control. It's about flexibility. It's about diversified income streams. In addition to that, there's a health aspect to it, you know, less stress. What makes people stressful is not necessarily working hard because these people work hard. It's about working on something you don't like. It's about doing something you don't like that creates stress. Um, you know, one of the biggest negatives about independent work is it's, it's hard for them to stop. It's hard for them to take a vacation. And that's one of the things that they need to learn how to manage. And that's where teaming comes in, where you could get a buddy or two that you could leverage the work. And this way you could take a week or two off, but there's a big health aspect, which I really found interesting when we started asking the question about four years ago in our state of independence report. Mm -hmm. These people feel healthier and they are healthier mentally. And that 
you know, comes to physical health as well, since they could take care of themselves with going to the gym or going for a walk or, you know, doing something that uh, they want to do and meditate or whatever. All of it to me comes back to the theme of the owner, right? And we have a theme that I have heard you talk about, and I think it's a theme of the next decade for the economy, and it's pointed to in the State of Independence data, which is the future being powered by micro-business, powered by individuals who are owners either of their own career, even in a traditional context, and of businesses. And one of the things that you have structurally been able to do at MBO is figure out a couple of really difficult things, which is how quickly and easily can we get somebody set up as a business, even as a human, as a single person? And then what technology can we quickly plug them into to make them successful from the get-go? So talk about what your vision is for micro-business ownership in the next decade. So I believe everybody's gonna need to have their own micro-business at different points in their lifetime, they will use it. And they need what, you know, what we've done at MBO is we built what I call a business operating system platform, which puts them into business literally overnight, uh, sets them up with the proper legal structures and insurances, and more importantly, just the education and the awareness of what that means and what responsibilities they have when they're working through their business entity, which I think is important rather than working as a individual 1099 sole proprietor. So the technology is changing literally, you know, every day. Look at Zoom right now where, you know, that's now part of the repertoire, right? It used to be Gmail and collaborative systems and your your cell phone, your mobile phone, your your smartphone, your but now, you know, Zoom and Gmail and Google Docs or do, with DocuSign for for contracting, it's quite easy and not very expensive to have an infrastructure set up that's very scalable, very easy for an individual to be able to execute a business-to-business relationship that is safe and protects them and profitable. And you don't have to do it all the time, but I do think, you know, having it set up and having it ready, uh, whether it's, you know, kind of side gigging or whether it's really spending two or three years learning uh, how to work on a, a new area of your profession. And then you could go back into the workforce and come back or actually start building a business that could turn into a multi-person business. You could, you know, we've seen people build 13, $15 million businesses, the team of, you know, five or 10 people. So lots, lots of opportunity. It's really, it's really a, uh, I think a very bright future for people that are going to be creating more things and having more control over how they do it, which would make them healthier and feel better and deliver great economic value for our economy. And this is not just the United States, you know, this is a a worldwide phenomenon. I think that's wonderful. And I see it, you know, I have lived in many different countries. And even as I go back and see family and friends, as I'm visiting overseas, I see that that same drive and spirit to be an entrepreneur and to be in control of your career and your life destiny is a human, it's the human condition. And the more that we can get people closer to that and do it in a way, as you said, that maintains safety, security, stability, or allows people the flexibility as they move through different stages of their career, the better off we are. And to me, I I do think that 
I can almost see in what you're saying about the future, you know, there is a theme about the rise of the side hustle that's a big part of the State of Independence report. And I think it's gone from about 9% to sort of 15 where people actively are in this career already as a side hustle. But there's an even bigger number who say they want to be an independent. The desire is staggering for people to want to be this way. And I think what you're saying is, maybe a part of a young person today, maybe a Gen Z worker or even whoever comes after, that having an entity is going to be as important or maybe more important than having a car or a yeah. house. Because you know what? You could get all of that within the sharing economy. But that's the entity right. is probably what you need to own on your own. Because that's, that's right. what you're going to carry with you. So that is a, that's a wonderful way to end. I think that's a great closing thought. So I'm going to stop here and say thank you for such a fun conversation and also for the opportunity to be a part of the journey in so many different ways over the years and to see what, what has been accomplished in terms of advocacy for the independent workforce. And pleased to say that I think it's only just starting. So I'm so glad we got to chat. Well, thank you, Asia. And you've been, you know, a tremendous um, factor in this whole thing. And, you know, you're the creator of the state of independence. So make sure people hear that. And I think this podcast and this whole way of educating people, I think is, is really valuable. So it's a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, this was fun. That was Gene Zeno, founder and executive chairman of NBO Partners, a champion of both independent workers and the businesses that partner with them. For more insights on the future of work and how to make the most of the independent economy today, visit mbopartners.com or find another episode of State of Independence wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening.